All right, you guys heard the scripture. Buckle up. Here we go. We got gouged out eyes, weeping, and an angry farmer. So get ready. We want a king. First Samuel. Here we go. Hey, great to see you all. My name is John Crawford. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's always a pleasure to be able to be with you guys. Redemption Tempe, I love you guys. Love being able to continue in God's word uh, with you all. And so we're looking at 1 Samuel chapter 11 this morning. Well, we are a community under threat. As pastors over the course of this last year, as we have met with people, we have walked with people through depression, suicidal ideation, addiction, both sexual addiction and also addiction to substances, job loss, anxiety, physical abuse, trauma, adultery, church hurt, deconstruction, demonic attacks, abandonment, unforgiveness, marital strife, financial crisis, miscarriage, illness, political division, death, and the list goes on. Church, we are a community under threat. But what do you do when you feel like you've become a captive to the threats? Where do you turn when you're under threat and it feels like all hope is lost? Open your Bible or your app to 1 Samuel chapter 11. We're looking at the entire chapter this morning. Pick up in verse one. It says, then Nahash the Ammonite went up and besieged Jabesh Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, make a treaty with us and we will serve you. But Nahash the Ammonite said to them, on this condition, I will make a treaty with you that I gouge out all of your right eyes and thus bring disgrace on all of Israel. The elders of Jabesh said to him, give us seven days respite that we may send messengers through all the territory of Israel. Then if no one, if there's no one to save us, we will give ourselves over to you. When the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul, they reported the matter in the ears of the people. And all the people wept aloud. Under threat. The enemies of God are trying to take you captive. Israel is under threat here. The Ammonites were a serious threat. There is a severity to the threat that Israel is facing with Nahash and the Ammonites. And Nahash, this dude is a bad dude. The king, he's the king of the Ammonites. And Nahash, his name means serpent. You know you're a bad dude if your name is serpent. And that's Nahash here. And what Nahash says is he says, hey, you know what? The only way I'm making a treaty with you is I'm gonna gouge out all of your right eyes. This seems strange. This seems even barbaric. And Nahash even has the nerve to say, hey, I wanna disgrace all of Israel. Well, why would he want to gouge out all of their right eyes? See, during this time in the ancient Near East, this was a common war tactic that would make people incapacitated for battle. They would be unable to fight without their right eye. And so they would have to be, they would have to surrender and be taken captive. And so what Nahash is saying to Israel here is he's saying, I won't settle for anything less than total surrender from Israel, that you will become my captives. But if this happens, 
then Israel would be forced into a life of servitude under a harsh ruler, similar to what they experienced in Egypt under Pharaoh. And so how does Israel respond? It says that they weep. They all weep aloud. The response is weeping because of the severity of the threat. The situation seems hopeless. The Ammonites, so this big forceful army and power and the king is coming after him and Israel knows that it seems inevitable that they're gonna be taken captive. And so Israel says, hey, just give us seven days respite. We'll send out some messengers. And then if there's no one to save us, we'll surrender to you. This is Israel's way of buying time for the inevitable. They already know what's going to happen. They thought that it would be impossible to ever overthrow the Ammonites. And so they're weeping. Israel was threatened by the enemies of God. But as we talk about the enemies of God, it's important for us to understand that in the Old Testament, the, where First Samuel is situated, where we're at today, the enemies of God are the nations that set themselves against God, his people, and his plan. But in the New Testament, the enemies of God get redefined as the powers that are behind all of the threats in our world today. And so what are we going to do when our enemies are more powerful and pervasive than the Ammonites? I know for me this last year, I've been under threat. Honestly, I'm not gonna lie, it's been a rough year. It's been a hard year. And it's been a hard year because I have had a lot of health issues. I've had chronic health issues. I've had some weird health issues. I had to have surgery even that had a long recovery. And so not only has my health been under threat, but I've also experienced spiritual warfare and spiritual attack. Not only that, then I've also experienced seasons of depression over this last year. I've been under threat. My health has been under attack. My relationship with Jesus has been under attack through spiritual warfare and spiritual attack. My emotional well-being has been under attack. At times, it felt as if the threats were all encompassing. I wonder, where have you felt threatened by the enemies of God? Where have you felt threatened by the enemies of God as you sit here this morning? Are you feeling it physically where your body is under threat because of illness or because of stress or because of mental health? Are you feeling threatened relationally where your most important relationships are under attack? Your marriage is under attack. Your family is under attack. Your friends, your church community, were you feeling threatened spiritually? Where your faith in Jesus has come under fire, your faith in Jesus is under attack through spiritual attack and the lies of the enemy that you're hearing and maybe you're even believing lies about who God is and who you are. Or maybe you're stuck in a cycle of shame that you feel like you will never get out of whatever the threat is that you are experiencing, where do you go with it? Where do you go when you're threatened? Do you feel defeated without hope? Or do you cry out to God for help? You feel defeated without hope or do you cry out to God for help? 
because as followers of Jesus, for those of us who are in this room and say, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus, for followers of Jesus, the greatest resource that you have is that the God of the universe is on your side and he hears your prayers. Don't weep without hope. Don't surrender to the threats because God hears the cries of his people and he has the power to deliver. He is more powerful than all of his enemies. He's more powerful than all of your threats. He is more powerful than all of your circumstances. For me, this last year, the thing that got me through the threats was crying out to God. And in the moments in which I felt like I was drowning and I didn't have it in me, I knew that there were other people, many of whom are sitting in this room, a part of our church, who were crying out to God on my behalf. And I think, I think I can say this, I think God's got me, brought me through it. I think I've been brought through it now. But even in the midst of it last year, I felt the presence of Jesus in the threats by crying out to him. Church, don't surrender to the threats. Allow God to fight for you as you cry out to him. But what about Israel? Do they surrender to Nahash? Let's see, pick up in verse five. It says, now behold, Saul was coming from the field behind the oxen. And Saul said, what is wrong with the people that they're weeping? So they told him the news of the men of Jabesh and the spirit of God rushed on Saul. When he heard these words, his anger was greatly kindled. He took a yoke of oxen, he cut them in pieces. He sent them all throughout the territory of Israel by the hand of the messenger saying, whoever does not come out after Saul and Samuel, so it shall be done to his oxen. Then the dread of the Lord fell upon the people and they came out as one man. When he mustered them at Bezek, the people of Israel were 300,000 and the men of Judah, 30,000. And they said to the messengers who had come, thus shall you say to the men of Jabesh Gilead, tomorrow by the time the sun is hot, you shall have salvation. When the messengers came and told the men of Jabesh, they were glad. Therefore, the men of Jabesh said, tomorrow we will give ourselves up to you and you may do to us whatever seems good to you. And the next day, Saul put the people in three companies and they came into the midst of the camp in the morning watch and struck down the Ammonites until the heat of the day. And those who survived were scattered so that no two of them were left together. Next thing we see is that the spirit delivers. The spirit of God has the power to deliver you. So last week we were in chapter 10 and Mark preached and he did a great job. And we see that Saul was anointed as king but here, Saul isn't acting like a king, even though he's been anointed. He's still a farmer. He's out in the fields with oxen as Israel is being threatened by Nahash. But this is one of the reasons why Israel wanted a king. They wanted someone to fight their battles for them. They wanted a rescuer. But there's Saul, chilling with the oxen, while Israel is weeping because of the threat of the Ammonites and they feel and know that there's no way they will be able to overpower them. 
And so how in the world is farmer Saul going to rescue Israel from the Ammonites? If you just imagine for a moment the equivalent. The United States gets attacked by China and Russia today, and there's this massive threat, and everybody is scared. And all of a sudden, a bunch of Iowa farmers get together with their John Deere tractors and shotguns. There's a bunch of Iowa people in here in the 9 a.m., and they're like, yeah, we're going to take them down. But no one's, no one's from Iowa in here. Uh, actually, Connor is. Connor's got his hand up. Connor's from Iowa. He's like, yes. But the equivalent, right? I don't want to underestimate some farmers from Iowa, right? They could probably do some damage. But against Russia and China, this is the equivalent of the threat of the Ammonites to Israel here. But something happens, we see, in verse 6. The Spirit of God rushes onto Saul. And the Spirit of God empowers Saul. And he now becomes Israel's deliverer. The Holy Spirit transforms a farmer into a deliverer. It's the Spirit of God who is the catalyst here. And apart from the Spirit showing up and rushing upon Saul, he's a farmer chilling with oxen. But now what we see is that Saul is God's instrument of deliverance for his people. The Spirit empowers the king to deliver. And what we see is once the Spirit of God rushes on Saul and empowers Saul, some things start to happen. This dude starts to get busy and get some stuff done. What we see is the first thing that happens is he comes up with this plan. He devises this plan of how he's going to unite Israel for battle. And it's kind of crazy. He takes an oxen, cuts it up into a bunch of pieces, sends it out all through the territory and says, hey, you dudes better show up to fight. But what we're told in verse eight is that Israel unites as one man. They come together. There's 330,000 men who say, hey, we're showing up. The Spirit of God unites Israel for battle. But also, the Spirit of God empowers Saul to come up with this brilliant military strategy. He, he comes up with this plan that, hey, we're going to do a surprise attack on the Ammonites. And it's not just a surprise attack, it's going to be a three-sided surprise attack. In verse 11, we're told that Saul divides the men up into three companies. It's a three-sided attack, and they show up in the morning when the Ammonites wouldn't have expected it. And what happens because of this is Israel overthrows the Ammonites. They're, they're victorious over the Ammonites. The unimaginable has happened. Deliverance has taken place, and it's because of the Spirit of God the same spirit that delivered Israel through Saul back then is the same spirit that delivers through Jesus now. There's a guy who's a part of our church family, and today is a very meaningful day for him because it's his one-year anniversary of stepping foot in our sanctuary for the first time. 52 Sundays ago, he walked into this sanctuary because he was in a low place in his life, experiencing brokenness on multiple different levels in multiple different ways. And so he came into this sanctuary in the midst of all of his brokenness. And as he sat here, the Spirit of God got a hold of him. And the Holy Spirit spoke to him 52 Sundays ago, sitting right over here. So much so that he asked the pastors, some of us prayed prayed with him after the service and prayed over him. 
And that time of prayer and conversation led to us meeting in the church office a few weeks later where he surrendered his life to Jesus. And yeah, if you, yeah, you guys can clap. Someone came to Jesus, right? <laughs> that should excite us at least, right? Someone came to Jesus. Um, but here's the thing that I love. Over the last year, the Spirit of God has delivered him in multiple different ways. The Spirit has delivered him from a life of addiction to substances to sobriety, and now he's been sober for almost a year. The Spirit of God delivered him from broken relationships in his family to now those relationships have been reconciled. The Spirit of God delivered him from an ended relationship with his very serious girlfriend at the time, and through a lot of healing and deep restorative work, their relationship has been restored, and now they are engaged to be married. The Spirit of God delivered him from being enslaved to sin and all of its effects to now being freed by the power of Jesus, and he is following Jesus, and he's here this morning. In the same way, the Holy Spirit can deliver you today. God has been doing amazing things at Redemption Tempe. And there are amazing stories with different types of deliverance in each story, too many to even share. But the reason why is because God has shown up in power. He has intervened in power. He has done the unimaginable in the same way that the Ammonites were overthrown and it was unimaginable. God has shown up here and he's done the unimaginable. But here's the thing, the power is not in the people. The power is not in the pastors in the same way that it wasn't in Saul. It is the spirit of God working through people, using them as instruments of deliverance. What I know is that some of you are here this morning. And if you're honest, you feel like a captive to the threats in your life. If you're honest, you're here and you feel like you're drowning because of the threats in your life. You may have even thought about not coming this morning because you feel like you're drowning. You need to hear this this morning and not only hear it, you need to feel it. Jesus is the spirit-empowered king who wants to deliver you. It reminds me of this old parable about a man of faith who gets stranded out in the ocean. And he begins to drown. And this man cries out to God and he says, God, please rescue me. Deliver me from drowning. Deliver me from death. And so a fishing boat comes to the man. And they say, hey, we're here to help you. But the man in the water says, no, I'm waiting for God to rescue me. And so the boat goes off. And another boat, a big yacht comes. And they say, hey, we're here to help you. And the man in the water says, no, I'm waiting for God to rescue me. And then a helicopter, a Coast Guard helicopter comes overhead and they say, hey, we're here to help you. And the man in the water says, no, I'm waiting for God to rescue me. And the man died. That's not the end of the story. Uh, The man drowned and he dies. Because he's a man of faith, he gets to the gates of heaven and he says, 
God, why didn't you rescue me? I cried out to you. And God said, I tried multiple times, but you rejected it. Just like God used the boats and the helicopter. The Holy Spirit can empower you to deliver others. The Holy Spirit can empower you to deliver others. But what I know is that when some of you hear that, and I say that, you check out automatically and you're like, yeah, right. God would never use me. God doesn't want to use me. He can't use me, especially to deliver through me because my life is messed up. I looked at porn again last week. I got anger issues and I yell at the people that I care most and love about, love, care, care about and love the most. I've got stuff that has happened to me in my life and I carry shame. And now I feel like I walk through life with a limp. And as I sit here in the sanctuary, man, I'm keeping things hidden in the dark and people don't really know me. There's no way that God would ever use me. My life is messed up. Yeah, maybe it is. But you wanna know what? So was Saul's. Saul's life was messed up. And yet he was a mess and God still used him in spite of himself and in spite of all of his messiness. This is the scandalous nature of who God is and scandalous nature of grace is that you don't have to get everything in your life perfectly straightened out in order for God to use you. The craziest thing about this passage is that in verse six, the spirit of God rushed onto Saul. But as followers of Jesus, the spirit of God has rushed into you and the Holy Spirit lives in you. And that means that the presence and power of Jesus dwells in you. And he wants to use you as an instrument of deliverance in the lives of others. Church, the church is the spirit-empowered people that the Holy Spirit has gathered us together as the church. And we are the boat to rescue those who are drowning. That God uses us as the boat to rescue those who are drowning. And this is not just the pastors. It's easy for everybody to check out and say, oh, the pastors are doing all that. It's not just the pastors. But deliverance and rescue happens through a bunch of different ways. It happens in redemption communities, happens in Bible studies. It happens through care groups, through support groups, through healing prayer ministry. It happens through counseling services. All of these are modes of rescue that the Spirit of God uses to bring deliverance in the lives of people. And what I love about the guy whose story I shared is that deliverance has been a one-year process for him. It's been a one-year journey, and there have been many different people involved. Multiple people have been involved. He's been in Bible study, he's had community, he's been in recovery ministry and recovery groups, he's been meeting for pastoral counseling. Multiple people played a role in his story, but deliverance is possible because of the power of the Holy Spirit. And so Israel is delivered from the Ammonites, but 
What do they do once they're delivered? Let's look here at verse 12. It says, then the people said to Samuel, who is it that said, shall Saul reign over us? Bring the men to us that we may put them to death. But Saul said, not a man shall be put to death on this day. For today, the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. Then Samuel said to the people, come, let us go to Gilgal and there renew the kingdom. So all the people went to Gilgal and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. There they sacrificed peace offerings before the Lord and there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. The last thing we see is that they enthrone the king. This is the proper response to deliverance, it's worship. And so here in Saul's life, this is the great moment in the life of Israel for Saul. He defeats this threat, the Ammonites, seemingly an impossible task, but he delivers Israel. And there's this amazing military victory. The oppressive enemies that are in the face of Israel have been overthrown, and so now Israel responds to their deliverance by enthroning Saul as king. We saw he was anointed last week, but he has not yet been enthroned, which is why he's with oxen out in the field, still working like a farmer. But now they respond and Israel enthrones King Saul because of their deliverance. And this is the first time that all of Israel is unified and they say, hey, we want Saul to be king. It tells us that all of Israel went down. And so much so that, that Samuel says in verse 14, he says, hey, let's go down to Gilgal. Let's renew the kingdom because Israel is together in this. They want Saul to be king. But they had felt the weight of the threat, their eyes being gouged out, being taken captive, being forced into a life of servitude under a harsh ruler. And the weight of that threat made them feel the power of their deliverance that much more. The seemingly impossible happened for Israel. And because of that, there's a huge emotional shift with the people. That the emotional shift that happens with all of Israel, this chapter 11 starts out with all of Israel weeping aloud because of the threat of the Ammonites. But the last two words of chapter 11 is that all of Israel rejoiced greatly. The shift went from weeping aloud under threat to rejoicing greatly in response to their deliverance. Of course, this is the only thing that they could do, even knew how to do, was celebrate. Celebrate their deliverance. Celebrate that they're not living now under Nahash's reign. The proper response to Israel's deliverance was celebration and enthroning the king. What's happening to Saul here is pointing to Jesus. This is a picture of Jesus, our deliverer. Because of Jesus's deliverance, the gospel enthrones him as king and he has ascended. The order in the gospel goes deliverance and then enthronement. And Jesus sits on the throne this points to Jesus because Jesus is the better Saul. They enthroned Saul because he delivered from threats that lasted a few weeks. But we, 
enthroned Jesus, who delivered us from the threat that has tormented us for all of history. They enthroned Saul, who reigned as king over a kingdom that was perishable with an expiration date. But we enthroned Jesus because his reign doesn't expire and his kingdom is non-perishable. They enthroned Saul, who demanded that 330,000 men fight for him in battle, but we enthroned Jesus, who fought the greatest battle in the world for us on our behalf. They enthroned Saul, who spared them from being wounded and humiliated by having their eyes gouged out, but we enthroned Jesus, who was wounded and humiliated so that we could be healed. They enthroned Saul for crushing the head of the serpent named Nahash, but we enthroned Jesus because he has crushed the head of the serpent named Satan. They enthroned Saul because he delivered Israel from the power of the Ammonites, but we enthroned Jesus because he has delivered us from the power of sin, death, and hell. Amen? Jesus is the better Saul. He is the king we all need. And so church, this morning, we respond to Jesus, our deliverer, by enthroning him as king. And we do this as we offer ourselves to him, wholly devoted to him in worship. And so the question that I have for you this morning is, will you worship the king who's enthroned today. And as we come to a close and we come to communion, as we partake of communion, this is our way of declaring that Jesus is King. The invitation for you this morning is to come to Jesus, our deliverer, who willingly gave himself over to the threats, to be taken captive and crucified so that we could be free. And so as we partake of the bread and the wine this morning, the bread represents Christ's body that was freely given for us, and the wine or the juice represents Christ's blood that was shed for us. And so let us come and enthrone King Jesus with our praises this morning. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. Lord, that you are the better king, the king we need, that you are better than Saul. Jesus, we thank you that you are our deliverer, Lord, that you have delivered us from sin, death, and hell, from the powers of evil. But yet, Jesus, there are threats here sitting in this sanctuary. Lord, I know people are feeling the weight under threats that they're experiencing in their life. And so, Jesus, I pray that you would minister to those people in the midst of their situation, in the midst of the threats, Jesus, that you would walk with them, that your spirit would be present to them. Jesus, that they would not feel defeated without hope, but that they would cry out to you, God, our deliverer. The greatest resource that we have is that you are on our side and you hear our prayers. And so, Jesus, I pray that you would deliver people, Lord, from the bondage that they're feeling, from the weight of the threats that they're under. Jesus, we thank you for the gift of your spirit, Lord, that you have sent your spirit not on us, but to live in us, to empower us, Lord, to be instruments of deliverance in the lives of others. And so, Jesus, we ask that you would use us, fill us with your spirit. And Jesus, we want 
you to be enthroned, Lord. As scripture tells us, you are already enthroned in the ascension, but yet you are enthroned on the praises of your people. And so, Lord, we wanna worship you rightly as king this morning. So, Lord, stir our hearts and our affection for you today. Amen.